0: This is the hash podcast.
1: Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Happy Friday and welcome to the hash on Coindesk TV. We are glad that you are tuned in. We are here to get you going, seeing what's up in the crypto world. And I think starting us off today is Jen, a bit of sad news on the cutback front. Jen, what do you got?
0: Well, Reuters reported that that Elon Musk has a, quote, super bad feeling, unquote, about the economy and needs to cut 10% of jobs at Tesla. The email seen by the publisher was titled pause all hiring worldwide and comes two days after Musk told staff that they need to return to the office or leave. Now, if we look at the broader crypto world, exchanges and firms are also cutting jobs and issuing their own hiring freezes as they get ready for a bear market. We talked about this just yesterday. Will, you were a little optimistic when we spoke about Gemini yesterday. Does this story change your mind?
2: Does it change my mind about, well, I think Crypto and Tesla are very two different economies, right? Two different markets. Mm-hmm. So Tesla's bigger, like 100,000 employees. Crypto, very small, insulated. It revolves around Bitcoin. Saw yesterday that Gemini is laying off about 10% of its workforce. And that is very much so to do with like volumes on crypto exchanges, which are down. And then also coin prices are also down. So that's like two forces that are hitting Gemini at the same time. Tesla is huge, has its hands in a lot of different pockets. Uh, whether it be government subsidies, solar manufacturing, business and auto dealing. It's working in China, it's working in Germany. It's very much so a global company. It's quite different than what we're seeing in the crypto economy. So I think those are two things like separate. I will say, and we'll get to this, I think, in Adam's story at the end of the show, The macro environment is really weird right now because there's a lot of open jobs, but there's also a lot of these headlines saying that they're going to start cutting jobs. So we got two different stories kind of hitting at the same time. I'm interested to see how that coalesces. I feel like by the end of the summer, we'll have a better picture of where the economy is going. But right now, we are definitely seeing two headlines hit against each other. Zach, I'll throw it over you.
1: I just like the quote, Jen. That was really great. Super bad feeling. Uh, that was, that, that's doing? that's what bad we act vibes. on in this world. Bad vibes, we're cutting. So anyway, it's interesting <laughs> to see Elon is getting ahead of this with some highly sophisticated analysis. I'm sure in the background, there's something that is uh, a bit more sound than the bad vibes. But, you know, you mentioned Gemini and not, not to gloat, Will, but I kind of called it yesterday when I said, you know, who's next on this front? And it wasn't as dire <laughs> as the Gemini news, but Coinbase came out and, Announced yesterday afternoon that they were extending their hiring pause and they were rescinding some offers to folks who had already accepted jobs. So they're emailing folks, probably now saying, Hey, yeah, sorry about that job. It's not going to work out. So, not actual layoffs per se, but definitely an acceleration, uh, an escalation of some of the cost cutting measures that had been previously teased by the publicly traded crypto exchange. So, companies are responding, be it in the world of atoms or bits. And again, I think we're going to see more of this in the coming weeks, months, maybe years, probably not years, but weeks and months. Adam, I'm tossing it to you.
3: Yeah, I, again, uh, as we Will kind of teased, we're going to talk about this more during the fourth story of the day when we actually dig into kind of the macroeconomics of it. But this is not a crypto thing. We've also had statements from the heads of JP Morgan, the heads of Goldman Sachs, a variety of sort of larger companies around the world that are frankly concerned about the environment. And there's good reason to be concerned about the environment because in a world where everything is tied together, when stuff starts to go down, everything goes down and there's really little place to hide. So I think that again, what we're seeing is these companies hunkering down uh, and just getting ready because they don't know if it's gonna be short, they don't know if it's gonna be long, but it does seem obvious that a crash in some meaningful capacity is around the corner. And I think that there's a differentiation between traditional industries like, you know, a restaurant or something like that versus the very highly speculative sectors that we've seen these types of announcements actually made in. Really, what we're seeing is the deflation of the speculative side of the economy, which, frankly, has become most of the economy and the best performing part of the economy for many, many years at this point. So I think this is a trend I'm expecting to see accelerate, actually, over the course of the next month. Uh, and really, we'll just see how long it lasts. Current estimates are that September would be the earliest that it would lift, based again on macro environment concerns that we'll discuss a little bit later.
2: Yeah, we'll definitely get to the, to the bottom of it during the last segment of the show, because those numbers that came out this morning were pretty interesting. But let's move over to Bitcoin mining land. As disclosure, I do run content for a Bitcoin mining company. So Riot Blockchain sold some Bitcoin last month, Boohoo! There's a big storyline among a lot of Bitcoin miners last year that they're holding onto their Bitcoin or hodling it, trying to basically get into like the marketing narrative of like every corporation should have Bitcoin on their balance sheet. So Bitcoin miners were also participating in that and hodling all the Bitcoin they had. But now that macro conditions have changed and also the fact that Bitcoin's price has gone down, these miners are beginning to sell their Bitcoin into the open market. It's not a huge amount of Bitcoin, and oftentimes it's not enough Bitcoin to really change the price of Bitcoin. Bitcoin continues to trade around $30,000 per coin, but it is significant just to see where miners are at. The fact that they're having to liquidate their biggest asset on their balance sheet to keep their operations running tells you that we're probably on the other side of a bull market and we're moving into a different market. Uh, so riots sold there. At the same time, we also saw that this morning, New York moving towards passing a moratorium on Bitcoin mining within the state. It only needs a signature from the governor of New York after passing both the House and the Senate within New York, or as the Assembly in the Senate. They have a, have a different little bicameral setup there. What does this mean for Bitcoin mining? Well, essentially, there's a two-year study period where nobody else can set up shop. In New York for Bitcoin mining, unless they use hundred percent renewable green energy that's certified by the state. Current production for these miners can continue. Anyone who's building and already has their permits can continue building and get their shops set up. This is a big discouragement to Bitcoin miners in the scene. It's also a big discouragement to anyone in the industry who wants to operate in New York. This follows after the New York Bit license in 2014, which basically killed New York City as a crypto hub. Adam, I want to throw this one down to you with your take on both these stories.
3: Yeah, they're two actually really fascinating stories, talking about miners selling more of their holdings. One of the really interesting things to me about that story is that a lot of these publicly traded miners have have been trading or have traded at times under the value of the Bitcoin that they've held on the books. And so some investors have actually started looking at them kind of like de facto ETFs that then also have other elements built into them where your investment effectively turns into more Bitcoin. And the narrative that you were talking about really, again, is that if you're a Bitcoin miner and you're publicly traded, really the thing that you should be doing is just trying to retain as much cryptocurrency as possible. Because as this popularizes, then the value of that will go up. And effectively, it turns what is really like a glorified subsistence industry into something where saving the thing that you pull out of it then can become, you know, really significant windfalls in the future. So it's a really interesting kind of bet. And it is a bet that I think that we're going to see many of these public companies start to pull off of, not entirely, but temporarily, simply because, again, with the price of Bitcoin down and with the cost of electricity up, everybody's getting squeezed across kind of all of these different industries. So that's the dynamic on that side to me. The New York one, I really like that you brought up the bit license because I read this story this morning and I was like, oh, they're codifying a law that makes it so that anybody who's already an incumbent gets to become a bigger incumbent or gets to maintain what they're doing. And anybody who isn't already there has to jump through all of these additional hoops. And if you look at what the Bit license was, that's what the Bit license was. The Bit license didn't eliminate New York crypto companies. It eliminated small crypto companies in New York. It eliminated crypto companies that couldn't navigate through or simply could navigate through, but weren't given permission by the state in order to actually operate there. And so what you saw was the largest companies in New York got to be bigger because they had less competition for that type of business locally. So again, like I actually have no ideological or really philosophical perspective on whether this is correct or not for the state of New York. I, it's not my expertise, but I, it is worth noting that we do see this this codify the incumbents, create new hoops to jump through for everybody else, and the big get bigger and the small go to a different state or a different country. And that's not a trend I love, but again, that's New York. What are you going to do? Jen, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I zeroed in on this quote from Senator Todd Kaminsky, so it's from May. He spoke to Coindesk in May. He said that he was worried that the bill could lead to economic consequences for New York if people perceive it as being hostile to crypto. And I think just off the back of, Adam, what you were saying, and Will, what you're saying, New York is becoming more and more the state that people think are hostile to crypto. And we're seeing companies move to Texas, to Florida to these more crypto-friendly states. And this two-year period to conduct this research sounds like a really long time. And I would have loved to see research happen before we say, you know what, no more miners can come to New York. Zach, I'm going to pass it up to you. But Will, my question for you first is, from a mining perspective, does two years make sense?
2: It doesn't make sense if you just look at crypto, right? Things happen so fast. NFTs were just they weren't a thing two years ago. Like, no one cared about NFTs. Now it's a huge product. OpenSea was talking about going public uh, just a year ago. So, like, yes, it really matters because things move so fast in crypto and mining is no different. Uh, mining moved from China, where over like 60% of the hash rate was located there. Six months later, most of that hash rate moved to the United States, Canada, or Kazakhstan. Like, it moves that quickly. And so, New York is really putting themselves in a bad spot a job front, from an economic growth standpoint, from a technology front. And you saw that with the BitLicense too, right? So the BitLicense went out in 2014. And by 2017, 2018, like that was a huge spot of revenue for the city and a huge tech sector that they just completely let go away. And it went to San Francisco, and to Miami. It went international. So I think in the same sense here, New York is really losing out because they do have a great setup for Bitcoin mining. There's a lot of opportunity for Bitcoin mining in the state. There's a lot of opportunities for companies that work with Bitcoin miners, like lending or trading or Bitcoin taxes, stuff like that. Why would they set up shop in New York? Like it seems like the government there is just not friendly to Bitcoin. Zach, I'll give it to you. Two things. I think that
1: is the irony of this, is that you know, the cheap, abundant hydropower that is endemic to New York State is really attractive to Bitcoin mining operations and is far more clean than some of the other energy sources that these operations can tap into. The other thing is, I think this is kind of par for the course for New York state government. I don't think this is especially unique to crypto stuff. I remember I used to live in Rochester, New York, and work for a public radio reporting project. And I always go back to the example (laughs) of natural gas extraction in the early 2010s. This was the fracking moment. It was a hot button issue, right? There was these millions of dollars in natural gas wealth being created in Pennsylvania, but there was also deleterious environmental effects really impacting people's lives. New York was very, very cautious on that issue. They took their time. They looked into this. And I think they also proposed a similar moratorium. So this feels similar to me in terms of what New York state is sort of predisposed to do. It tends to be a bit more of an activist government. And then down south, those those rapscallions in Pennsylvania are a little bit more laissez-faire about what can occur for better and worse. So I think that this may be another example of a long, long existing trend in New York, rather than something that's particularly specific to crypto and proof of work mining. But hey, we'll have two years to wait it out. All right. We're going to talk about people being mad online. The consumer protectors over at the SEC have a new campaign to educate investors on doing their own research. But people are mad at some of the videos like this one. Roll it.
0: (laughs) Welcome back, Fred. It's your investment.
1: Uh, I'll take meme stocks. Invest.
0: Alex. <laughs> <laughs> your investment, Julie. I'm going to do some research first. Well played, Julie. Well played. We can do research.
1: All right. So we will take people being mad online for 200, Alex. That was one example of a meme stock one. There was another crypto one. SEC saying, hey, Do your own research. These things are risky. Don't listen to celebrity endorsements. There's all sorts of bad stuff out there. Some people aren't so happy about it. But hey, that's the internet. I'll toss it to Adam for his thoughts on this
3: new campaign from the SEC. I hadn't actually seen that video before. That one's quite interesting. So, (laughs) you know, I think that for me, this all comes back to this idea that the investing world used to be pretty nuanced. It used to really matter what companies did. And it used to really matter kind of what industry you were in and how much money you made and kind of all these other things. And over the last number of years, you know, last basically, you know, 15 years, 20 years, that has kind of stopped to be the thing. And instead it's become about, you know, like having revenue. There's a park in the Silicon Valley series. Uh, they say, but don't have revenue, don't have revenue, right? Because if you have revenue, then you can have a multiplier on the revenue, which is the traditional way to value a company and to do that. So, Again, like we saw that as the pandemic restrictions kind of set in, we saw more and more people who had never actually done any sort of stock trading before getting into it. And they realized at the time that the game wasn't what it looks like on the outside, that the game in reality was, if we all buy this thing, then it goes up in value because we are the market. And it's the market that gets to make these decisions. So it's a little funny to me to see the SEC come out and differentiate meme stocks or really any other thing else because markets don't really trade different anymore. They trade based on factors that have little to do with the companies and much more to do with the environment in which they exist. So that's, that's me though. Jen, what are you thinking about this one?
0: So I think the message is there. You should do your own research. But the this whole thing just felt so weird, especially the fact that it was coming from the SEC. I read the press release that was launched when the commercials were published. And Gary Gensler said in the press release, as technology evolves, we're seeing a growing number of investors enter our financial markets. He adds, with the growing access to markets, it's as important as ever for investors to take time to educate themselves. And then it links out to that investor.gov link. And it says, you can start here. This is completely unbiased information. And on that link, there is a video of gary gensler's office hours explaining the sec's relationship with crypto and the video feels very biased you know he's talking about how any exchange that's not registered with the sec is not federally allowed to be operating and there's not the same investor protections when you're investing in crypto as there are when you're investing in stocks and it's just it's a two-minute video it's very skewed towards what the sec wants people to know, and it doesn't direct anyone anywhere else to actually do their own research and to actually see both sides of the argument here. And so that was the funny part for me. Gary Gensler's Office Hours, what what a series. Will, what did you think?
2: Yeah, this series is interesting when pairing against like some recent headlines Coming out of the SEC, which, by the way, I feel like I know way too much about the SEC these days. I don't know if you guys feel yeah. the same way, but I just feel like I know way, way too much about it. Uh, there's been three recent resignations in the SEC with people amounting about 50 years of experience between the three of them. And that's notable because typically the SEC is very good at retaining talent. It's a very prestigious spot to work within the government. A lot of people go there and they spend their careers there doing some sort of enforcement action. And maybe if they do leave, they typically use that SEC experience to leverage getting an even better job. Like you don't walk out of those doors typically taking a lateral move or taking a downgrade. You're normally taking a step up. So the fact that there we're seeing like some people have moved on from the SEC at this time is notable to like where the SEC is at at this moment. At the same time, we're seeing like these education initiatives. And these aren't the only ones that Gary Gensler has done. Like he's done like a lot of stand up where he gets in front of the camera and talks about the SEC enforcement. He seems to be taking like a much more proactive stance in terms of trying to educate investors, basically using social media as a tool to, another tool for the SEC, like another arm of the SEC to to act as like an enforcement agency. That seems to be very different from what they've done in the past and from what they've done under past heads of the SEC. I think that's maybe why you see some people leaving. I mean, it's all speculation, obviously, everything's behind closed doors, don't really know what's going on, but there seems to be a departure from, previous ways of going about uh, monitoring these markets. And that seems to make some people unhappy, including the angry Twitter notoriety. Uh, Zach, I'll give it to you.
1: Yeah, going back to the videos, some of the outrage highlighted in the Bloomberg article sort of related to this being somewhat demeaning of you know, your average Joe investor, right? Who is you know, realizing that they have tools at their disposal for the first time, right? Whether that's Robinhood or any number of brokerage apps out there that provide access to some of these things. The concern that's being voiced, as highlighted in the article itself, is hey, that's a little bit patronizing. You know, I think there's there's bigger fish to fry. There are other issues that maybe would move the needle on investor education, rather than trying to say, oh, you're stupid for getting involved with AMZ or something, right? So whatever, they're cute, they're cheeky, they're videos. They made conversation. Maybe someone will take it upon themselves after hearing the uproar to dig a little bit deeper and to do the research that is implored here by the SEC and others. I mean, do your own research. It's a foundation of the crypto conversation. There ain't nothing wrong with that, but maybe this one missed the mark. All right, Adam, we're staying in the realm of economic things, at least. What do you got?
3: Yeah. And doing your own research doesn't necessarily mean that your investment is going to pay off either. So in our final story of the day, the US Department of Labor said this morning that the month of April saw some 436,000 new jobs added and the official unemployment rate remained at 3.6%. And that's good news, right? Well, maybe not. As the Biden administration seeks to tamp down inflation ahead of midterm elections, the U.S. Central Bank is under pressure to act, and they're doing so. The modern markets, long addicted to intervention, are in need of another fix. So paradoxically, better-than-expected results this morning are actually seen as bad news for markets by some analysts. And that's because the Federal Reserve will continue its aggressive reversal of the market supportive policies that it's had for the last dozen years or so. And meanwhile, inflation, as officially measured, remains near the peak of its decades long range. All told, it's honestly a little bit of a mess and it's very counterintuitive and confusing. Zach, what's your read on this?
1: I don't know. I saw like, yeah, more jobs. <laughs> that's good, right? What is? It, what's the problem? What? What's the? What's Zach the problem? The right I'm, out of my mouth. This is high level. I'm a small minded here. man. I'm a small minded man. I am a small man I'm not digging into these stats. I don't see what's going on. I mean, more people got jobs. More power to them. That's give Zach great. a token uh, story. Give
2: him a token story. Yeah, give me defi
1: shit. Come on, give me some. Give me something I can really riff on. No, I mean, I mean, I think it's it is unavoidable today, right? The macroeconomic conversation is undeniably affecting the things that we cover. On a daily basis right crypto is very much linked to some of these bigger picture things that are going on and so when we see this when we see proclamations about you know uh, quantitative easing and other factors that are you know being discussed by central bankers in the us and sort of you know as, as some allude to there, a cabal of sort of subservient central bankers elsewhere those things have direct impact on the markets in the crypto world as traders in this space become more institutionalized more savvy and more attuned to these things and their effect on the market. So this stuff is rightly in our wheelhouse as we look at some of this data, but I got nothing really smart to say other than I'm sure there are smart things to say, and I'm gonna pass it, I'm gonna pick on Will. Will, you
2: gotta say some smart stuff, come on, pick me up. I'll say something smart, I'll say something smart. So Odd Lots is a great podcast from Bloomberg, I was listening to that the other day, and they had their business editor on talking about what the Fed is doing right now, because the Fed is super confusing. People are looking at the tea leaves, being like, what are you going to do to the market? How are you going to change interest rates? Are you going to do quantitative tightening? Are you going to loosen up a little bit? And looking at the information we have right now, it seems like the Fed is going to continue its policy of increasing interest rates. What does that do to the larger market? Well, it contracts everything. It means that people are going to have to be, they're not going to be able to take out as cheap of loans for future business products, right? It's going to be more expensive to do business. It's going to be more expensive to get credit make your business grow faster. And that means that jobs can normally go down in that situation. Not always the case, but normally, the market's going to contract, jobs are going to go down. That's at the same time that there's like something like 11 million open jobs in the United States. Like, there's a lot of companies that need people to fill open seats. So we have like two forces sort of hitting each other at the same time. And I'm waiting for some sort of resolution to come to this. I think we'll see it hopefully within like the next three months. Uh, Because it doesn't seem like we can have a shrinking economy with tightening forces from the Fed and that we can also have uh, open jobs and like a very low uh, unemployment rate, like 3.6% is very, very low. Typically, it's around four to 5%. So those two things seem to be fighting against each other. Jen, I'll give it to you for last word though.
0: Yeah, I mean, my last word isn't going to be great. I read this headline and the headline at the top of the show and I was like, this is very confusing to me. You've just done a great job at at explaining it. So I'm going to give the last word back over to Adam. Maybe he's going to have something intelligent to say so we don't end this show on a dud.
3: (laughs) You're never a dud, Jen. Yeah, so there are two narratives that I am actually looking at, though, around this, which I think are tied together. One has to do with kind of shorter-term, medium-term trends, which is that crypto is a risk asset, right? Like, that's just what it's become as the mainstream kind of financial side of things has gotten involved. The correlation has grown. So from that perspective... It's not so much a more aggressive rate policy. It's the removal of supportive policies, right? If you recall back at the start of the pandemic, effectively the federal government uh, and state governments uh, around the country shut down a lot of the economy, but stock prices didn't go down. And they should have because a lot of the economy was shut down. And so a lot of the economic activity that drives those those values, in theory at least, uh, you know, should have come out of the market, but that wasn't allowed to happen. And so as a result, really that's what we're looking at here is the Fed has been propping things up and they are pulling out the props on the thing. And so that has really, really significant repercussions. And then the, the final kind of point I'll make is that this also has uh, implications for Bitcoin's longer term kind of value proposition, which really is that Bitcoin isn't going to make choices that are going to change fundamentals about the money, whereas the kind of existing system is going to do so. So when we see the Fed ease off on the frankly terrible policies that they have, That actually is a little bit of a a concern to people in the world of crypto or specifically Bitcoin, because if the Fed starts acting in a way that's sane, then that's actually, you know, that takes away from some of the value that Bitcoin would offer. Now, of course, that is a temporary thing. The Fed, for a variety of reasons we don't have time to get into today, cannot maintain these policies and will eventually revert. But in the short term, things are likely to stay bad as a result of things being too good.
1: (laughs) hot diggity i like it all right that was some good stuff and if you want more of that stuff viewer listener should come to austin texas next week for coindesk's consensus festival this festival right here this festival is the gathering of the giga brains where you're going to hear some real alpha on what's going on in the world of crypto macroeconomics culture sports governance everything we got it all check it out if you don't have your ticket already sorry for you you should get that if you do we'll see you down there it'll be a fun jam-packed end of the week down in texas next week so come on down consensus by coindesk it's fun all right i'm zach seward we got will foxley today adam levine and jensen Sinassi. we are the hash thank you for being here hope you have a great weekend and we will see you soon here or elsewhere thanks bye